If you uh, have your bulletin and uh, pull out an outline, you'll notice that the, the title of the message is Anybody Can Be Like a Model Mom. And if you think about that title, you might be thinking, is there somehow a gender confusion here? Well, it's not a gender confusion here, but you'll understand that in Scripture, often God portrays himself in so many different ways, but sometimes he portrays himself as the, as the mother hen gathering uh, children unto himself. Uh, his little chickadees. And as we think about God portraying sometimes himself in the role of a mother, we also see that men often are projected in that type of a role as well. And the reality is, is that there are families in which the mother has to take on the father's role as well as the mother's role. And there's some times where the the father has to take on the mother's role as well. And and so we see that there's a place for all of us to take the the strengths of both and seeing that there at times, if we're going to influence people in the right way, we need both the strength and the tenderness of, of both roles. And so I, I really, one of my goals today is for not only the ladies to be encouraged and to be challenged, to be all that God wants you to be as you have the role of being a mentor, either, either in the children that are still living in your home or the grandchildren that aren't far away or, or even the children you come in contact with. And in fact, I want you all to sign up for vacation Bible school and nursery duty and whatever else. But whenever you come in contact with children, whether it be in the fellowship center or just out in the community, is that God wants us to take on that role of at times really showing what God has for those who influence people in a positive way. But for the men, I, I want you to get in touch with your feminine side, or to put it another way, your God, God, a godly mother side, that this is the role God has called all of us if we're going to be serious about influencing people in the most profound way possible. But as we think about having children or children in your life, you realize that it's, it's, uh, it's a joy, but also it's a challenge, and sometimes you get various feedbacks. I stole my wife's um, Mother's Day card from my daughter, who is celebrating uh, her Mother's Day, her first Mother's Day, actually up in Lake Arrowhead with uh, her husband, Scott's uh, family, and so she sent a card, and we're going to be doing some other things later, but uh, here is uh, Cindy's card to my wife, Alice. My therapist says it's not all your fault, Mom. (laughs) Trust me, it gets worse. Okay. God, uh, no, Dad messed me up a bunch too. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day. Now, what what is, uh, you know, delightful in this is obviously Cindy goes on and just praises her mom in so many different ways in the in the card and saying, I was just joking, I know you like funny cards, whatever, and so she, she brought it all back. It's, it's not all your fault, Mom, but the interesting thing in there, he, she never takes anything back about her dad messing her up, so I, I don't know what about that. So, you know, as we, as we think about uh, life, that there are, there are times where we, we feel underappreciated. There, there are many times where we feel, I wonder if they realize all the, all the stuff we do for, for others, and and Theodore Roosevelt, who was a kind of a man's man, he was the president with, with uh, all the energy you can imagine in terms of, of going out and doing so many different things. This is, this is what he wrote about a mother's. When all is said and done, it is the mother, and the mother only, who is a better citizen than the soldier who fights for his country. The mother who does her part in rearing and training aright the boy's and girls who are to be the men and women of the next generation. It is of greater use to the community and occupies, if she only would realize it, a more honorable as well as more important position than any man in it. 
She is more important by far than the successful statesman or businessman or artist or scientist. And so as we think about the role of the woman, the role of the mom, the, the mother in the home, it is of crucial impact in terms of what happens in the next generation. And as the role of a mom is never done and the duties of a mom are never done when the children are in the home, but it's never done after that as well. You still make impact on the lives of those you've been with, uh, whether actively or prayerfully, in trying to make them in all that God wants them to be. But as you think about that, you have to ask the question, well, what is it God wants me to do in the role of, a, of being a mother or a, a model mom? And again, I'm going to try to make that go full, full circle where all of us, whether we gave birth to children or not, and one of the genders can't give birth to children, uh, and whether you had a role where you never did bring birth to children, you're around children all the time. And, and children are still described children no matter what their age. Isn't it interesting? I've shared this with you before, but as you look at God describing the people in his family, other than in First John, I don't think he calls us too many other times that we're adults or, or we're parents. He, he, he calls us what? Children. And so we're all still in the role of children. So as we think about influencing people like a mother influences her child or her children, we need to realize that God has called all of us to influence children of any age by doing some very simple things when we're around them. And hopefully you'll see that in a very simple way. But before we look at that, I just want to remind us, again, this is not a man thing. This is not, you know, 10 easy steps to be all God, all you want to be or 10 easy steps to all others want you to be. Number one, I'm only going to give you three steps, not ten. And the other part, this is a God thing. For us to really make impact on people's lives and down the path that God wants them to be, it can't be just ourselves doing it. Otherwise, we make everybody in our own likeness. But what we want to do is make people live out the likeness they have created in them in the image of God, but even more so, the, the opportunity they can to be to walk with God in the relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, how can we do that impossible task? Well, the only way we can do it with, with God's help. And just as you look at your outline this morning, I put a couple of passages of Scripture that, that are pretty straightforward in terms of God empowering uh, His people. Uh, we can really do all that God wants us to do and, and make us and become all God wants us to be because God's power resides within us. The end of uh, the, the prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 says this, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that you could ask or imagine, to him is the glory that's found in God's people. And, and so as we think about the power that God gives us, it's the power to do whatever God wants us to do and to be. And then the most familiar verse in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that often when we think of strength, we think of, uh, or in a situation that we might want to apply, Philippians 4.13, often you see that in athletic events, someone will put on their helmet or on their shoes, and they're, they're hoping that strength will allow them to score a touchdown or make a basket or hit a home run. He's not talking about that when you have the strength of God residing within you, you're like Superman. You can run faster than a bullet and jump over tall buildings with a single bound. He's not talking about that. He's talking about no matter what the circumstances you're in, as Paul was in prison, whether you have abundance or you're suffering need, you can be all that God wants you to be wherever you're at. And you can influence people in the, in the direction God wants them to be influenced if you are 
resting in his power and in his strength. And since the, the challenge of influencing people, the challenge of being like a godly mother to others is so beyond us, we need to always recognize it only comes from the power and strength of God. Well, what would that look like if we were to become model mothers? And, and no one is a perfect mother. Uh, no one is a, uh, a perfect model. But as we think about the job description, we, we've got to make it pretty clear or we'll miss it. Then I want to submit to you three things that are essential in being the mother or being the influence in someone else's life that is extremely strategic and necessary. In fact, I'm going to give it to you right up front, and so if you want to doze after I give you the three points, uh, you, you, you do whatever you want to do. But, but what, what God wants us to be when we think about making an impact on other people, first of all, it begins this way. You need to extremely value people. Or the way I put it in the outline, how, how do we become the model person for another? By extremely valuing children. That, that's so important in the home. And then secondly, by truly loving children. And then thirdly, by faithfully guiding children. And, and we're going to look at some bullet points beyond that. But if you don't value children, if you don't love children, and you don't guide children, then you're not going to influence them in the way God wants you to influence them. You're not going to be the person God wants you to be. Fundamental and simple, but not easy. Well, what does it mean to extremely value children? And what I want to do is kind of begin by sharing you an unfamiliar, familiar story. You go, an unfamiliar, familiar story. What do you mean by that? Because I'll give you a name of a person. A few of you might know who this person is, but you'll know him after, after, you'll know her actually after I describe her a little bit. I'm going to tell you about the life of Jochebed. Jochebed. You're thinking, Jochebed. New Testament, Old Testament. Doesn't sound like a New Testament name. Must be an Old Testament name. Who is Jochebed? Well, if you ever taught children, you might remember who Jochebed is, but Jochebed is the mother of Moses. But if you read the account, in fact, the, the, the passage that I put in here this morning, at least the, the main chapters, Exodus chapter 1 and 2, you'll find out that she's not named. We don't really find her name till Exodus chapter 6. So she is, uh, maybe even by that picture that her, she's not even named to begin with, is, is she is one of those humble mothers. She is living not to bring atta- uh, attraction to herself, but to her children. In fact, her children are more well-known than, than she herself. She is the mother of Aaron, and she's the mother of Miriam, and she's the mother of Moses. And sometimes when you look at people, you wonder, how do they become how they are? Well, often all you have to do is make a direct line to their mother or to the, the greater influencer in, her li- in their lives than anybody else. And that's what we have here. Jochebed was living in the time in which the people of Israel, God's children, had already come to Egypt, and they had been there for centuries, and they had prospered. When they, they were transferred from the, uh, Canaan to, to Egypt, they were only 70 strong. But after uh, many, many, many years, they had become very fruitful, and they had multiplied. They had become so prosperous that the Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, and you'll know the story if you ever watch the cartoon Prince of Thieves or the Ten Commandments, you know, you'll know some of that story, or actually read it out of the book. The book is much better than the movies, I want to let you know on that. But as they were prospering, God's people were prospering, it brought fear into the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh said, we've got to do something with these people who are becoming so strong and it will be to our danger. 
And so what the Pharaoh thought, well, we'll just oppress them with more and more work that they have to do to serve me and our country. But what happened is as, they, as adversity was brought on the people of God, prosperity happened. They became stronger and, and more plentiful in the land. And so the Pharaoh said, well, we've got to do something about this. So we'll tell all the midwives, all those who are in the birthing process, that if a female comes out of the womb, that, that, that little girl can remain alive. But if a male child comes up, you must terminate that life. But the midwives feared God more than Pharaoh, and that ought to always be our banner of life as well. We ought to always fear God more than anyone else because we want to obey Him rather than because of our fear obeying someone else. They, they refused to take life out of the womb or when it was first brought out of the womb. And they came up with a rationale that somehow convinced the Pharaoh that, well, I understand why you can't do it. And so then he decided, well, I will skip your part of the solution and I will tell all my people, whenever they see a male child, they will kill that child. And now all of a sudden you have Jochebed, who remains nameless in Exodus chapter 2, but she marries, and we find out that she already has two other children, Aaron, who probably had already been born before the edict of the king or the pharaoh had come to pass, and so he was alive, and she already had a girl, and now she was pregnant with another child. Now, we don't know what she was thinking or praying about, but probably she was praying for another girl so that life within the womb would be protected, not only by her, but even the government at large. But a male child came to pass, and she went to great lengths to hide that child, but she knew she could only hide that child for a certain length of period of time. And so with great risk, what she did is she put that little child in a a wicker basket, and floated it down the Nile River. Sovereignly, in a strategic period of time, hoping that the daughter of the Pharaoh would see that child, see how lovely that child was, and embrace that child to be one of hers. But being part of that process, she also sent her daughter, Miriam, to be following that, that little boat with a child in it and, and, and mirror what's going on and see if there's any way that she could be part of what was going to happen next. Now, in that story of Jochebed with her infant son, Moses, gives us a picture of all these three things happening. She valued that child. She valued that child to, the, to such a degree, she took, put her own life at risk, her other children at risk, her husband at risk, maybe even her neighbors at risk who might see that somehow she was influencing them. She took that child as so valuable, she was willing to risk everything for that child's protection. And I dare say that that is the beginning step of anyone who wants to be a model mom, that you need to see every life as a life that matters to God. And in fact, if you look at your outline this morning, how can we be a model mom? Number one, by extremely loving, valuing children. And it all begins, first of all, here. Make sure you know each child is special. Now, the whole idea there is you've you got to know that each child is special. If, I didn't put the word feel each child is special. So let's, just, let's see how honest we can be in church. Had there been at times where you didn't feel your child was that special? I mean, there, there, are, there are times they just, you know, they just, they make you crazy, right? And, and so if you, if you were only evaluating your children and how you felt at any moment, 
Now, most of you are many, much more spiritual than me. You only had a few moments like that. But there, there are moments, you know, you, you're just wondering about that kid in your home, right? But what, what, what counteracts your feeling is, is what you know, what you have a conviction about. That child that is acting up, what kind of child is it? That is a child that's made in the image of who? God. That's, that's God's child. He, he made him or her in his image. And just because of that, that means that child always has value, doesn't it? And you ought to know that. You ought to have conviction on all that. That's what Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says. Or if you turn to Psalm 139, which is a, a blessed passage about just how we came into being and how God looks at us and how we ought to uh, see ourselves. This is David describing himself in, in very poetic ways, and you could read the whole psalm, but we'll just, we'll just look at Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. This is what he says. For you, speaking of God, formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother, mother's womb. Which, again, if you just take a step back, you know, we've all taken biology one-on-one. We know how uh, kids get here, children get here. It's not the stork. There's a union between a man and a woman. It's a biological fact that, that how babies get born. But, but David's taking this to another level, isn't he? He's saying it, it's not just biology. This is a spiritual, sovereign act of God. You form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's not a bad prayer for all of us to, to say about ourselves, even when things aren't working as well as they used to. Have you discovered that? You know, some things don't work as well as they used to. Okay, but we're still wonderfully made. We're, we're maybe wearing out here, but we're going to get even a newer body. We're going to get a new, better body when we get to heaven. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Which is an interesting description as, also is. It's one thing to know something, and it's another thing to know something very well, right? Where, where it's your passion about the truth of what you believe. My frame was hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Even not only was our life formed by God, but our future was formed by God as well. So, so as you think about making an impact, and that's what mothers do on the lives of others, it all begins with valuing the people that, that, that you contact, that you are living with, that you're having time with. And it begins to understand they're made in the image of God, they're fearfully and wonderfully made. And then to add to that, in 2 Peter 3, 3 verse 9, that's that passage where, where Jesus, where Peter's re- responding to, to God's perspective. And it says, God is not slow about his promise about coming again. I mean, he's coming, but we think, well, why isn't he come now? And he says, this, this is the reason why I haven't come yet. Because I desire that none should perish, but all should, should, all should come to repentance. Now, now, we can't explain why God sovereignly draws some people to himself and others choose to reject him. But we do know this. The heart of God is that everyone would become part of his eternal family. And, and that's why we always go out to, to share the message with anyone and everyone because God loves that person. His son died on the cross so people would have opportunity to know him. So there, there's no, there is no greater description of the value of someone to understand that God made him in their image and that God died for them through his son. So it all begins, if, 
if you're going to be the model mom, and, and then there's a role at times where we are to come alongside others like a mother caring for the needs of those in her responsibility. It begins with knowing that each child, each person has value. But if we left it there, then it would be only something a thought in our own heart and our own mind. Because not only do we need to make sure you know that each child is special, or I know that each child is special, we need to make sure each child knows that they are special. There's a verse in Proverbs 27, 6. Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. And we'll see the love section in a second. In a second. But how special do your children know they are to you? Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, we have one of the stories of the disciples messing up again. And, and sometimes we, we are not the best advertisement for Jesus because we just don't get it. And they didn't get it there, and oftentimes we don't get it today as well. And, um, and that's our challenge, to live out what is really true and to do and to be what God wants us to be. But in Mark chapter 10, uh, we have Jesus doing something that just shocked his disciples. And it, it sounds why, why were they shocked, but that's what, the way they were. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 13. And they were bringing children to him. This is the crowd around the disciples and Jesus. So that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. Now, that's an interesting description of the disciples. Here's Jesus reaching out and caring for children in an expressive way by just touching them, hugging them, giving them blessings. And the disciples took this opportunity to say, we're going to reverse roles right now, Jesus. You normally are the teacher, but we're going to be the teacher. We're going to tell, you're usually correcting us. We're going to correct you. You are not valuing what is really important. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. goes on and says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms, and he began blessing them, laying his hands on them. Now, we know that Jesus valued everyone. He knew that everyone on this planet was made in the image of God. He knew that he was about to die on behalf of the world. But somehow the disciples didn't get that. And, and they somehow felt, okay, they might have a certain amount of value, but they aren't really valuable until they become what? Adults. And, and really, if you're, they weren't in a room, but they were probably outside, they said, what you're, you're misunderstanding, Jesus, is we're more valuable than them, right? That's what they were really saying. And Jesus turns it all around and says, look it, you don't get it. These children are extremely valuable to me. And I don't want that just to be a theological truth. I want them to know it. And so I'm going to rebuke you, and I'm going to gather them around me, and I'm going to tell you, unless you become like one of them again, you have no part of my kingdom. Now, I dare say that every single one of those children that were there on that day knew that they were special. They had tremendous value in Jesus' heart. So what we have to do is step back and say, well, the people in my life, I, I know... I know that they are special, but do they know that they are special to me? 
That's, that's the challenge for all of us, to make sure that our love is not concealed, but it's expressed. So what, where does it begin? And again, this is a very simple message. It's all about valuing, loving, and guiding. It begins and continues, and that's the key thing. It continues to be the challenge for us is to value the people in our life, no matter what their age is. It doesn't really matter in age. But, but if there are some rugrats around you, if there are some people in between rugrats and being much older than that, you need and I need to express value to them because we're convinced they have value. We could go on historically and in a contemporary way where that's not true today. There are countries in which they limit how many children you can have. They also limit what the sex of that child can be. And if a certain sex comes out, you don't keep that child. Why? Because from their perspective, a child is only useful with what they can contribute to the society. And whether it's euthanasia or infanticide, when we devalue life, then we don't even get to the first point. Mother Teresa, when she first came here, and she worked with the other side of that, he said, the greatest blight on the, on the history of the United States is abortion. Because what does it, it, what does it say? What does it say is that the life within the womb is not important. And certain, there, there are lives that come out that are deformed and have disabilities, but every life matters. And if you've been around children or even adults with disabilities, you find often that their heart is so much greater than the heart of those who have so much exterior health or beauty. So it begins with the value, the extreme value of children. But then it goes on, and at least the point I want to make today is it's all about understanding that we ought to truly love uh, children as well. And this, this has the idea of really treating them a certain way where we, they know they have value in an active way. There's a passage of Scripture that's always used at weddings, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the love chapter. And in 1 Corinthians 13, actually the context of that is it's, it's, it's put right in the midst of Paul writing to the church saying this is how you ought to respond to each other in the family, the family of God, uh, with people who are, have certain gifts that are different than yours, uh, certain priorities and responsibilities in the church that are different years, and you need to realize everyone's important. God has given us different gifts and different talents, different roles, different ministries, and so often we, we diminish what other people do and we elevate what we do. And, Jesus, and, and Paul says, no, you need to love each other. If, if whatever you do, you don't do in love, it really is it's just like a noisy instrument that makes no sense, it gives no value, gives no importance. But in 1 Corinthians 13, he describes love this way. And I have to be, be uh, resist the temptation because, you know, you could just preach this whole passage here. But Paul writes, love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Just a point there, sometimes when we get in an argument, we don't get hysterical, we get historical. Have you heard that? You know, well, we bring up all the dirt from the past and just throw it right in the person's face. And when we do that, we might as well say all the things we're doing and trenching up the past is say, I'm not loving you right now. Then he goes on and says, uh, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things. You know, as, as I was thinking about that, when I just want to highlight a couple things, what, what does it mean to really love children? And sometimes we think of love as another Hallmark movie. You know, it's, it's, it's doing something sentimental. But it's much more than that. And that's why he gets very graphic in the illustration or the descriptions of love. But I was surprised when I began to think of something that was pretty simple and straightforward. Sometimes when you look at 
things that are most important. It's, it's whatever said first and what's ever said, what, last. And I, I, I was surprised that the first description of love here was love is patient. I would have thought maybe kind, you know, would have been a better description of love to begin with. But why did he start with patient? Because, you know, you think about life in the home, that, that's, that's, that's almost got to be the first step, right? Because things don't always go right. They often go wrong. Things often irritate you more than bless you. And if you're going to really love the child, you've got to be patient with them. You've got to be going the next step over and over and over and over again. The word here actually has the idea in your King James Bible. It actually is translated pretty well there. It means long-suffering, that you need to suffer long. You know, I don't, I, don't, I don't mind being patient with people who deserve to be patient, right? <laughs> but when I don't think they deserve to be patient, I don't want to be patient with them. Well, no, you need to suffer long. And it really has the idea, literally, actually means, literally the word means bad-tempered, which when you say bad-tempered, or, or, or not bad-tempered, it means big temper. But what it's saying here is have a big fuse on your temper. You know, we all have certain temperaments, whether it's produced by nurture or nature, and some of us have a longer fuse than others. And what are you saying here? Have a long fuse. Before, before you, 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 you blow up, make sure it takes a lot to get you to blow up. And so when we, when we have patience with children, when we have patience with people, when, when we are willing to go the, uh, another mile with them and put up with it just a little bit more, then, then we're becoming to love people like God loves people. In fact, it just reminded me in, in the book of Acts when they were describing God, they used that phrase, and God puts up with us. You think about that? God puts up with us a lot. Can you imagine how patient God is with us when we fall so short? That's the kind of love that God has for us. And that's how we ought to love people as well. And, and then, it, then it has the idea of God... Uh, Toward the end there, it also says endures all things, hopes all things. But toward the end of that, he said believes all things. Now, the, the last thing I ever want to be is naive. Okay, who wants to be naive? Right? We, we, and some of us are, are skeptical almost by nature. You know, you, you really, what is it from Missouri that, you know, this is a you know, show me state or whatever it might be. And we're, we're all skeptical. But with our children, you know, risk being naive and really believe in them. I don't mean that you, you're Pollyannish, you never, you never correct or you never, you never point out what needs to be changed, but we need to be a believer in our children. Love believes all things. And we, we want to love our children. Or Have I told you I've got grandchildren yet? Have I told you that? Okay, now i got three, all right? I got both genders. I got, I got little girls and a little boy. It is, we want to love them in such a way that, that they, want to, they want to be with us. I was struck, uh, my, my, uh, my love language, I don't know if you've ever read the book on love language, but my love language is play. I just like to play. So basically with my grandchildren, when I can, I, I just take them someplace to play with them. I just, and I'm pretty cheap, so I just take them to a park. Okay, so I take them to a park, and we go on the slide, we go on the swings, we, we do everything. And um, my uh, two, two little granddaughters, one is named Hannah, and the other one is named Addison. Well, for a long period of time, Addie wasn't quite big enough to go to the park with Papa. So, so, uh, it, but a couple months ago, I started bringing her with Hannah. 
And I went there, and I thought I was going to take both of them to the park on my day off, and I discovered that Addie couldn't go, and so Hannah and I went by ourselves. And, and so we're going there, and, and Hannah, is, she, is, she is all girl, let me tell you. So when, so when I'm taking her to the park, she's talking nonstop. Okay. I'm listening, she's talking. I'm listening, she's talking. She's just talking. Finally, we get to the park, she says, Papa, I'm so excited that just you and I are going to the park today. It's going to be so much fun. And I said, well, we would have had fun with Addie as well. Well, yeah. But I like it so much better when you pay your full attention to me. You know? See, the, the, you know, we, we want it to be that place where, you know, children want to be with us. People want to be with us. And when we learn to be patient with them, when, when we learn to believe in them, then they're going to want to be with us. So what does it take to be a model mom? It takes, first of all, that you value children extremely. That you know they're special and you communicate in practical, concrete ways that they're special. That you truly love them by, by learning to have a, you know, a longer you know, fuse on your temper. That to be patient with them. Just like God is patient with us. That we believe in them. Which is interesting. You know, God wants us to believe in him, but he also believes in us. He sees so much potential in our lives to be all that we were created to be. But finally this morning, we also should faithfully guide our children. And this is, this is in First Thessalonians chapter 2. This is where, um, you know, men, we, we can see in God's word that, that we need to be in touch with our feminine side as well. Because Paul writes, you know, very graphically about how he ministered to people. He goes earlier in that, he, he talked about coming to them not to please men, but to please God, that, that he came not out of pretext or greed, whether he could get out of them. But then he goes on in verse 7, he says this, But we prove to be gentle among you, and how as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. See, Paul, as he, as he worked with people, and he wasn't just talking about little rugrats at the moment, he was talking about any child of any age. When I was involved in your lives, I came to you, not only valuing you and loving you, but, but guiding you in the spiritual areas of life, not as someone to be oppressive upon you, but gentle and tenderly as a mother with her own children. And so as we, as we think about how, how do we become like a model mom, whether we're in the direct role of a mother or not, whether it's in a spiritual mentoring perspective or just being a good friend or, or being a good family member or, or being involved in people's lives in a meaningful ways, we, we want to take the picture not only of a great leader or a great teacher, and we think of Jesus as that as well, but we need to think that our role in the lives of other people is like a nursing mom to others. And the idea here, and this is, how do we do that? We do it visually, visually, tenderly, and with care in our lives to the needs of others. You know, Moses is called the, the, the meekest man and, you know, and the most humble man in and, and all of Scripture. And we had a debate about that in one of our Wednesday Bible studies this past week. Peter, but anyway, we won't mention names. But, but as we think about uh, Moses being a, a humble man, it's interesting, in Numbers chapter 11, as he actually prays a prayer coming back to God, and he's, he's so overwhelmed by the task that he has to lead 2.5 million stiff-necked people out of the wilderness into the promised land. He says, God, well, did I bring them into, did I birth them? Am I the mother of these 2.5 million, you know, children of Israel? And the answer to that, of course, is what? No. You know, did I, did I bring them? 
Was I to be their wet nurse? Did I, do, was that, did I physically do that? And of course the answer is no. And he says, then why are you calling me to, to hold them dear to my bosom as a, as a mother would her own children? Because Moses was called not only to lead them aggressively into the promised land, but he was to care for them tenderly and lovingly. And, and we need to understand that that was not an easy task, was it? Because they were always complaining about what they didn't have and what they used to have in Egypt. And when they couldn't complain to God, they complained to who? They complained to Moses. But, but God had him in that role to show that he was to guide them forcibly and, and directly, but also carefully and tenderly. And we need to do that visually with the people, concretely in practical lifestyle. But we're also do that to be, do that verbally. Paul goes on, and as he describes himself as a nursing mother to his own children, he says this, Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So he not only lived it, he spoke it. And we all know that if, if, if somehow we take on the role with other people, well, um, don't do what I say. Do, don't, don't, don't do what I do, but do what I say. How far is that going to go? Now, we need to say it, but we need to do it. We, we don't want to ask anybody to do something we're not willing to do as well. And that's how we guide people. So as you think about the role of a, of a model mom, it's, a model mom is a role that everyone should have if you want to make a positive influence on somebody else. The mother has a strategic role in her, with her own children, but all of us influence people. And we influence people by showing them value, by loving them, and by guiding them. Guiding them verbally and, and by setting an example in which they want to follow and, and be like the direction we're going. Is this going to be an easy task? It's an impossible task. But that's where God's power and strength flows through God's children to be what God wants them to be. I was, uh, I just happened to be in the Daily Bread this week, and it was interesting, the impact and the imprint that a mother must have had on one of her children who died young in life. I was reading the story about Ligon Stevens and her brother Nick, who were just passionate mountain climbers. They had climbed the, the tallest mountains in the continental United States. They'd probably gone globally and done that as well. And they were, they were just doing a mountain climb in Colorado and when all of a sudden there was an avalanche that just overwhelmed them. Uh, Ligon's uh, brother, Nick, was seriously injured but lived, but her life was taken. And her brother was pretty distraught and her family was distraught, but they, they found in one of her diaries these words. I am a work of art signed by God. But he's not done. I have on me the fingerprint of God. Never will there be another person like me. I have a job to do in this life that no other can do. Now, her life was not long here on earth, but it lasts for eternity in heaven. And, and when she left, the reason that she makes an imprint on the people's lives or heard her story, read, reads about her story, is because she recognized that she had great value. How, how did she come to know that she had the fingerprint of God on her life? I, I don't know the history of that, but someone 
became like a mom to her, if not her own mom, that influenced her to the point where she had that conviction that she was not some accident. She was not just some random person that was living, but she had on her written the fingerprint of God, you are important, and you have something to do. And as we think about what God wants us to do as we celebrate mothers today, we want to celebrate those who are making positive influences on others. And we want to be that same kind of people. When we look at a child, whatever their age is, that we see them with a great value, that God's imprinted on their life like the fingerprint of God, that means that you are special. I, in my plan, I have something special for you to do, and I want you to pursue it. We want to express love to people by being patient and believing in them. We want to, to guide them. We want to guide them by, by setting the example and then speaking the words of truth to them. And sometimes that is the, the words of correction. Not always better is open rebuke than love is concealed, but that next verse says this, that, that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of the, of the enemy. We can flatter people. We can, we can say all kinds of nice things to them, but we've never correct that which needs to be corrected. We're not really loving them or valuing them or guiding them. Jesus came as, as the path, and that's why in that so familiar of, of, of words where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We direct people to Jesus, and then we influence them in ways that will last for eternity. 